Thank you, Martha. Well, good morning again, church. Try that one more time. Good morning. Woke up. My name is Tim Power. Uh, as I said earlier, but uh, I'm, I'm not over here as often as I am preaching in our uh, modern worship service in the multi-purpose room. So it is a tremendous pleasure of mine to be here uh, today and to be able to seek God with you and to seek God's power in all of our lives. Um, last night, I had a dream, a dream, and... Um, I've had this dream before, and this is the dream I had. I dreamt that I didn't write a sermon, and I still had to get up and talk. And I had written the sermon. In fact, we, for, for um, um, a whole year, we did online uh, church, so we, we would record the sermons usually earlier in the week, and so we're still doing that uh, because there's a lot of people who still don't feel comfortable coming back to church yet plan on continuing an online uh, component for a while. So I actually was able to preach last week, so I knew I had a sermon, but I had this. It's one of those stress dreams. Anybody else get stress dreams? Something that is out of your control, and so you just, you get scared. Well, I felt uh, a little bit of something of the presence of God when I woke up, because my back sweats. That's that's my telltale sign that I'm nervous, is that back was sweating when I woke up because I thought, oh no, I didn't write a sermon. Now I had, but I felt like God told me this. I felt like God was telling me, calm down. It's not your message, it's mine. Calm down. It's not your brilliant ideas that need to be communicated. It's just that Jesus loves these people. Just that these people and you are loved more deeply than you could ever imagine or even understand. Um, one of the greatest theologians in, in, in history was Karl Barth, and uh, he wrote so many books that I'll never be able to understand, not just because they were written in German. Um, and, and towards the end of his life, he was asked uh, by someone interviewing him, uh, if you had to kind of sum it up, what, what is the greatest nugget of wisdom or knowledge that you got out of all of this studying of the scriptures? He wrote one of the greatest commentaries on the book of Romans that still is, is so influential on in the church now. Um, so out of all of that, they, they, they ask, what is, what is your greatest um, bit of knowledge and, and what have you really learned? And he, he started to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's, that's what really counts. And so if you get nothing else out of today, if nobody's ever told you this today, you're loved. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And, and all I hope to do uh, over the next couple of minutes together is to get out of the way is to get out of God's way so you can know something more deeply about how that love works in your life and can work through you. So I'm going to pray right now and just pray that I get out of the way and pray that God can do in this place what I can't, which is a lot. Holy God, we come before you. We want to know your love. We want to simply know what it is to be loved deeply by you. 
Lord, I know that there's a difference between hearing something and receiving something. I pray that we wouldn't just hear the words of your love, but that we would receive them. I also know there's something different between saying we believe something and living it. God, help us to live your love today. Help us be aware of your presence in this place. And help us to be transformed by it. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, as we uh, talked a little bit about earlier, and we took a little bit of time to intentionally celebrate those who gave their lives in military service to our country, this is Memorial Day weekend. And so with grateful hearts, we, we celebrate those people. Uh, and, and we give thanks to those, probably many in this room, who have lost uh, people in their lives, people who are very important to them, uh, to that ultimate sacrifice, which gives us the freedom to be here and to worship together. Now, I think days of national reflection like this are pretty useful for us because we have one shared frame of mind. Specifically, this holiday helps us to think about life and death, what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. And as Christians, we have a very, very particular viewpoint on life and death. Now, for those who don't have or hold any kind of religious viewpoint, they might just view death as the end of the sentence, the period at the end of the sentence. There's life, and then there's death, and then there is black. Roll credits. But as Christians, we, we believe something very different. We have this word as Christians called hope. Can you say that? Hope. Now you'll hear people who aren't Christians, who, who have no faith, use the word hope. Hope it doesn't rain today. Hope it does rain today. Hope we get a win with the Cardinals, right? We have hope. But hope is something very different in the Christian faith. See, hope is one of our theological virtues. And for Christians, we believe that hope is for something beyond this life. That hope is that we believe that at the end of this life, it's not the end, but it's actually a doorway into eternity. In a sense, it's a movement from this reality into something even more real, okay? Something that is more real than anything we've experienced up to this point. Christians believe, in fact, that this world is not where we belong in the truest sense. Have you, have you ever felt like things aren't right in this world? Have you ever thought, this just isn't right? Well, um, Christian uh, author C.S. Lewis said, many of our longings, those longings where we feel like something's just not right, are really just longings because we're not made for this world, but we're made for another. Now, the, Christ, the, the word that most of us Christians associate with hope, our, our eternal home, is the word heaven. What do you picture when you think about heaven? I was telling people in the last service that most of my pictures of heaven come from the, the cartoon show, The Simpsons. Or maybe the Far Side cartoons. We, we don't really get a, a real solid picture in Scripture about what the 
the afterlife, what comes after this life looks like. I want to read this um, quote from Frederick Buechner, just a tremendous author and a minister. And uh, he talks a little bit about our hope for things beyond. He says this, the worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. See, the last thing, this is what he's talking about, hope. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock-bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last, best thing is the laughing deep in the heart of the saints. Sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. That, that end there, you are healed, all is well, is a lot like what we read in the book of Revelations. That's a picture of heaven that we get. We, we don't really get, and that's why we have all of this media that tries to fill in the blanks about what heaven looks like. All, all we really, really know is you are healed, all is well. That's the picture that we get. And I love what he said, and boy, if you don't take anything else home today, I want you to hear that this again. The worst thing isn't the last thing. Can you look to somebody close by and say the worst thing isn't the last thing? The worst thing isn't the last thing. You know, many of us have been in dark places. We've lost people that are close to us. And it feels like the worst thing. And it feels like that's where we'll always be. Whenever we're in the midst of the worst thing, we think that that's where we're always going to be. But the hope of heaven is that the worst thing isn't the last thing. The best is yet to come. I want you to hear that again. The best is yet to come. Now, we've been taking a, book, uh, a journey through this book of Ecclesiastes, as Marvin's been so excited about, um, in this sermon series that's been called The Seasons of Life. Just to catch you up a little bit, uh, Ecclesiastes is this book from the Old Testament. It's part of what we call wisdom literature. This includes other books like Proverbs. It includes Ecclesiastes, and then it also includes... Job. The book of Ecclesiastes gives us a really unique perspective on wisdom. It's from the point of view of a man, now traditionally believed to be King Solomon, who has had it all, he's done it all, and at the end of his life, he's come to believe that life is hevel. Say this for me, hevel. It's a fun word, right? It's a Hebrew word, and it's used over and over again in this, in this book of the Bible, Hevel. Now, oftentimes, it's translated as pointless or meaningless. It's not really the best translation, but I, if, if you know much about languages, it's not always clean to translate from one language to another. Sometimes you'll find out that there's not a word that fully captures another word. And that's true about Hevel. I think one of the most literal translations you can get of Hevel is smoke or vapor. So over, over his life, Solomon has learned that life is like smoke or vapor. So sometimes it's, it's very difficult and hard. Sometimes it's beautiful. But all of the time, no matter what happens, you try to grab hold of it and it just slips through your fingers. You try to move it in this direction. No, 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 I want this to last longer. And what happens? Heaven slips through your fingers. I want to push this part away, but you try to push it. 
just slips through your fingers. Hevel is like smoke, it's like vapor. Now I want to read uh, the first passage we talked about from the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. And actually, uh, Pastor Nick, who uh, uh, leads our worship and, and leads our youth here at Salem, uh, he, he had to preach on this last week. And I'm sure he thanked Pastor Terry. It's the first two verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. The words of the teacher of the assembly, David's son, king in Jerusalem, perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. That'll preach, right? Um, I don't know if anybody else has ever tried this. Have you ever been desperate to hear from God and so you say, I'm just going to open up the Bible and I'm just going to put my finger down and see what God has to say to me. What if you did that and this was what you opened up to? Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless, everything is pointless. Would you be inspired by that? Well, over the course of the book of Solomon... He's processing these thoughts. I think Solomon is an external processor. Anybody else like that? You just got to talk it out. You talk it out. So he does that over the course. And, and, and what we see over the course of the book is that he has a very particular way of dealing with all of these things. And, and I preached this a few weeks ago that one of the lessons that we get out of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon basically says, you can't grab hold of life. It's out of your control, so the best thing you can do is to accept life on life's terms and to let God be God. To let God be God. Now, there's another great preoccupation in the book of Ecclesiastes besides heaven, and that's death. You guys are excited to read this book when you go home, aren't you? Read it to your kids and your grandkids. The author mentions death over and over again. Why should we work hard if we're just going to die? And, and everything's just going to get wiped away by the sands of time. The gold bowl is just going to break. Why should, we, why should we try all these things? Our legacy is going to disappear anyway. And so over the course of this, over the course of of. of of all of this, he learns to accept life on life's terms. And towards the end, what, what Marvin read, what we hear, this, this teacher, and again, when it says teacher, uh, I, I'm calling it Solomon. Again, we don't necessarily know. Scholars are a little bit divided over who this teacher was. But I'm gonna, I'm, for, for the sake of, of clarity, I'm going to say Solomon. Solomon gives us this picture of Christian hope. And I'm going to read a little bit of what Marvin read, but from a different translation. This is from the message, which is uh, what we call a paraphrase translation. Uh, it's written by one person, um, Eugene Peterson, uh, who was a biblical scholar, but has more of just his take on this. Uh, just kind of one person's perspective on what's being said. So uh, this is from the message translation. And it's starting in verse 7. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful, ends. The body is put back in the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who first breathed it. It's smoke. Nothing but smoke. The quester says everything is smoke. The quester is, is another way of saying the teacher. Now, I said this uh, my first week when I preached out of this. Um, the, the, 
book of Ecclesiastes is, is really interesting to study and understand its makeup and kind of what it's trying to do. Um, now, there's two voices we hear in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the voice of the teacher. I, I call him Solomon. Um, and then there's another voice that we hear. We only hear this voice at the very beginning of the book and then at the very, very end. Okay, so at the very beginning of the book, there's a voice that introduces the teacher. And then at the very end, there's a voice that kind of sums it all up. Now, this is the anonymous author. We don't know who actually put these words down. So a lot of this was probably the thoughts of Solomon or another teacher who had uh, uh, who, who was known for, for Proverbs and who was known for um, writing down words of wisdom. But this ending is kind of tacked on. It's kind of just this ending part that's summing up, and here's what it says. Again, this is the message translation starting in verse 9. Besides being wise himself, the quester also taught others knowledge. He weighed, examined, and arranged many proverbs. The quester did his best to find the right words and write the plain truth. The words of the rod, the words of the wise, prod us to live well. They're like nails hammered home, holding life together. They're given by God, the one shepherd. But regarding anything beyond this, dear friends, go easy. There's no end to the publishing of books, and constant study wears you out, so you're no good for anything else. I can just hear one of my sons telling me that, Dad, constant study wears you out, you'll be no good for anything else. He's probably going to quote scripture to me when he doesn't want to study. The last and final word is this, fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out in the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. Did anybody else's back start sweating at that last verse? Do you hear that? God will bring everything that we do out in the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. See, this is giving us a hint towards something to come, towards an eternity beyond all of this. And you might say this, wait a minute. Is this saying that God's going to judge me according to my actions, what I've done? Anybody else get a sweaty back because of that? that? That makes me pause for a second and think, I might be in trouble, right? Well, I might be, except Jesus. Except Jesus. You know, one of my favorite Bible verses, I learned it when I was a little kid, this is John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world, right? You probably, some of you could say the, say the rest of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever might believe in him would have eternal life. Now, growing up, I just thought that meant had to do with me and my eternity. I never saw how that touched everything else in my life. For God so loved the world that it should change everything. For God so loved the world that it even changed what we read in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read another verse from Romans chapter 8. It says this, With the arrival of Jesus, listen to how Jesus changes everything. The Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. What dilemma? We're talking about the dilemma at the end of Ecclesiastes. That dilemma was that God will judge us according to everything. Throw it out in the open. So this is what Paul is saying in Romans arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. 
those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. See, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because he died for my sins, because he died for your sins, and when he was because he was raised again to power, we have hope beyond heaven. I want to say that again because it's important. We have hope beyond heaven. And because we have hope, it really changes everything. And I, I hope that you don't just think that these are ideas. These are things that change how I act when I leave this place and how you act when you See, real hope for eternity means that we live differently now. We live differently now because of what Jesus has done. If you take a quick look at history, I think this is borne out to be true. I've heard some people say this, that, that if all you think about is heaven, you're no earthly good. But it's not true. In fact, if you look through history, the people who have made the greatest contributions to this world are the people who thought the most of the next the early church, it was the people that had their hearts set on heaven that lived the most selfless lives. They didn't worry about being persecuted and killed if they talked about the love of Jesus. In fact, Paul said this. Now Paul, who was oftentimes beaten for his faith, imprisoned for his own faith, he said this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does that mean? That means he knows what's the worst that you could do because I'm sharing the love of Jesus, you're going to kill me? Okay, I've got all of eternity to live with my Savior. There's nothing that can harm me. It makes me also think about the great British abolitionist William Wilberforce. Does that name ring a bell to anybody from history class? William Wilberforce transformed this world. He was a great British abolitionist. He helped to stop the British slave trade. Now, his eternal perspective made him long for justice here on earth. The love of Jesus changed his heart and he changed the world. Or just think about the minister and civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. Now if you read the entire text of his I Have a Dream speech, you'll see that he actually used a picture of heaven from scripture as a template for what justice looks like on earth. You see, his longing for heaven didn't make him useless on earth. It drove him to bring heaven down to earth. Now see, if you want to change this world, you need your hope set in heaven. Now, as we close our time together, I want you to ask yourself a serious question. What do you think happens after all this? Now we all choose what we believe on this matter. Whether we believe that this life is all we have, so we've got to make it count. Or if we believe that heaven is our home, so we should live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. Personally, I want to choose to believe in the hope of heaven because of what I read in 1 John 3.16. This is not the Gospel of John 3.16. This is another, this is an epistle. But listen to these words. This is the hope that we have. This is how we have come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for 
for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. I personally believe that my life here right now is a dress rehearsal for an eternity of knowing and loving Jesus Christ and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. That takes me from heaven to hope and it changes everything. Will you pray with me? God, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We cannot always love well, so we ask for you to transform our hearts. We can't always live out the gospel in the way that we ought, so we're asking for you, Lord God, by the power of your spirit to transform our hearts even now. We look, Lord God, towards your eternal hope, not just so that we can be preoccupied with the future, but so that we can bring heaven to earth, so that we can bring the justice of heaven to earth, so that we can bring the love of heaven to earth, so we can know that the worst part is not the last part, but the best is yet to come. We look to you right now, God, and I ask, Lord, make us more and more like Jesus. Help us to live like Jesus lived. Help us to love like Jesus loved. We pray this in your holy name.